Hi, I'm Kiki. And I'm Kemi. And you're listening to Your Advisors Will See You Now, a podcast that will help you to figure out all of your options for life after high school. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in to another episode of Your Advisors Will See You Now. We have a special guest today to start off our international series. We've had a couple of listeners from Qatar, uh, from Puerto Rico, Portugal, and Germany. So we, so we thought that this would be a perfect time to have a series that talks about all things international, whether you want to study abroad, whether you want to come to the U.S. and study. So we wanted to just touch on that. We thought it'd be fascinating. We love traveling. And to begin this series off, we wanted to invite um, my good coworker Susanna onto the show. She is a DSO. I'm going to have her explain all of that, but she mostly deals with international students when after they apply to um, the university that we work at. And she deals with the whole um, approving visas and that kind of intricate process. So I wanted her to help us in dissecting that a little bit. Now, also remember too that the visa student visas can be very in-depth in certain things. There's a lot of if, ands, but, this, but, if, this. So she's going to lightly kind of kind of piece that apart for us. But um, we just hope that you get the information that you want to hear today. But with that, I'll hand it over to Susanna. Thank you for being on the show. Great. Thanks, Kemi. Thanks, Kiki. This is really exciting. So uh, my name's Susanna Marcucci, and I... Um, work in an international students and scholars office um, at a university. So what that means is that we support um, international students who are in the United States studying with a student visa. Um, And we also work with international faculty as well. But I think we're focusing on the students today. Um, So happy to answer any questions um, that my hosts have about that process. Um, I think especially during COVID, it has been really, really challenging for uh, international students to get visa appointments. Um, It can be a very confusing process. Um, There are different pieces um, that go into it. So you have to work with the school where you're going to be going, but you also have to work with the U.S. government. So that can get kind of complicated. So we work with students to help them through that process. Yeah, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Can um, oh, go ahead, Kimmy. No, you go ahead, Kiki. You go ahead. Okay, I was just gonna say um, you talked a little bit about what you do, like your like daily functions. Can you talk about like your your background, Susanna, please, and just like maybe how you landed in your position now? Sure. Yeah. Sorry, I don't have the questions in front of me. So oh no, it's okay. Oh, no. oh, it's gonna flow. Don't worry. Do not worry. Yeah. So um, I have been working with international students for. Uh, almost nine years now. It's been a long time. Um, I originally started off after um, college teaching English. Um, And then I realized that I love working with students, but I don't love being in the classroom all the time and all the the preparing lesson plans. And it just wasn't a great fit for me. And I didn't get to form really close relationships um, with students because I would have a lot of students that I would work with um, throughout the week. Uh, And so I started looking into um, advising. So I looked at um, jobs where I would be helping American students study abroad. And then I also looked at jobs where I would be working with international students studying in the United States. And um, ended up um, at a school in Boston working with international students in 2013. And I've been doing it ever since um, at a couple of different um, colleges and universities in the uh, Boston and uh, Massachusetts area. So it's, um, it's, it's great. I love it. I love working with students. Um, I love the challenges of immigration and kind of taking very old, complicated regulations, making it simple for students, um, and trying to help them have a good experience in the United States, even when they have to deal with some of these complicated uh, immigration situations. Yeah, so I think the first time that I ever, before I, um, I worked at the university I work at now, I used to work at, it was like a technical institution. So 
we had kind of dealt with J-1 visas. We'll dive into that in a moment. But that was my first taste of understanding the actual visa process. And I was, I was lightly beginning to study under someone who was the DSO. And I never knew how much, what exactly what we were doing with international students. I didn't know that we were actually kind of signing off on a visa. When I heard that, I was like, oh, whoa, that is a that is a heavy duty. So I didn't know that that's actually a function of what um, institutions do. I thought a lot of that was mostly the government. I didn't know how we worked um, like hand in hand. So do you kind of want to speak to that a little bit about what specifically a designated school official is, what they do in terms of partnering with the government um, and that kind of aspect? Sure, definitely. Yeah, so um, a designated school official um, is someone who has access to a, it's a government database um, called CVIS, which is the Student and Exchange Visitor Program. Um, and this program started back in um, the early 2000s um, as a way for the U.S. government to keep track of where students are in the U.S. Um, who are coming from different countries. Um, and so in order to have international students at your school, you have to get certified by the CVIS program. So they will come and do a site visit. They'll make sure that you're um, a legitimate school with real classes. Um, they'll ask you about how you will support and advise your international students. So it's a whole lengthy certification process. Um, and then once you're certified to have students, um, then the university has to do reporting in CVIS. So a designated school official is doing that reporting and really is, I guess, a guide or kind of someone who's in the middle between the students and the government and helping the students kind of understand what they need to do so that they don't... Um, uh, violate their immigration status in the U.S. Um, and then we also report required information that we're required to send to the U.S. government by law. So um, as an example of this, if you are a student on an F-1 visa, which the majority of students in the United States come on, it's called an F-1 student visa, they are required to study full time. So we have to look at every international student's course registration and make sure they're enrolled in enough courses. And then on the other side, and um, Kami, you helped me do this. We check <laughs> and make sure we work with our colleagues um, in the academic department to make sure that students are um, enrolled in all the right courses. Um, and so, yeah, that's really what it is. Um, we get a special log on. Um, to be a DSO, you have to be um, a U.S. citizen or um, a legal permanent resident in order in order to have this job at a university. It's it's so funny because I was telling Kiki before, like I email Susanna several times a week because there's so many interesting questions. Like I know we've had emails back and forth of you emailing me, okay, the student is in this many courses, should they be in this course? And we're like verifying and tagging back and forth. And then sometimes I'll have more questions of, well, can this student do this? Can they do this on the visa? And I'm so used to, there's always like general knowledge of the visa, but then there's always mm -hmm. these little if, if, and, but if statements or, or like, um, like me, especially when it comes to CPT and OPT, which I'll ask in a moment, which we know that's always, um, a highlighted topic because students want to know if, how to get an internship or work abroad. But I know you mentioned earlier about the F-1. Can you speak a little bit about the difference between an F-1 and a, I think it's a J-1 visa? Sure, yeah. So the F-1 um, visa, basically when you as um, a non-U.S. citizen, you want to go to the United States. Um, and that could be for a business trip. That could be to be um, a tourist. So whatever that reason is, you'll go to the U.S. consulate in your home country, which is um, basically a State Department office, and ask for the right visa. So you have to kind of figure out, okay, which visa 
is going to be the way that I need to go to the United States because there's many, many different types of visas. Um, and so the F1 visa is for students. Um, and the vast majority of students um, come to the US on an F1 visa. To get that visa, um, they have to uh, provide financial documentation and show that they have financial resources to um, take care of their tuition and living expenses. That can come from family members. It usually does for um, university students. Um, and so that's the, the F1. The J1 is really very, very different. Um, so it's the J1 is the visa that you get if you are participating in a State Department sponsored exchange visitor program. So it's um, a totally different, um, there are totally different regulations for the J1 visa. There are different categories. So maybe, for example, you might come on a J1 visa as a student if you have a special scholarship from your government um, to go and study abroad. In that case, um, you may come on a J-1 visa. Um, but also, professors come, research scholars come on J-1 visas as well. So, um, and there's also even like a summer work program that's a J-1 visa. So maybe you wanna come and check out the US and you don't wanna commit to going to university, you could get a J-1 visa to come and work in the US um, in the tourism industry for the summer, for example. Um, and get some experience living and working in the U.S. So I've worked with um, students who have come back later on F-1 visas who did that experience in the U.S., that kind of short-term summer work program. Um, so the, the J visa is for um, international folks who are coming to participate in a range of different sort of exchange programs. And the purpose of the exchange program is really to share um, cultural knowledge between countries to promote peace, um, to promote sort of the idea that it's important to get to know people from different countries. Um, and, uh, and if we do that, then the world will be a better place is kind of the ethos around, around <laughs> what that program is um, and, and why it was founded. I think it was back with, um, was the president when they kind of created this program. That's really cool. It makes that sense, make sense though. A lot of <laughs> no, it really does. It really does. I never know the difference. I feel like we where I work in my community college, we have a lot of F1 students. But I think I think all around, like you said, the the purpose is to like make the world a better place. A lot of students come and they like want to come to study here in the States and they're like, oh I want to go back to my country and do XYZ. So I mean a lot of it is their own like just person, like feeling the personal responsibility to go back to their country as well. So it makes it makes sense. Or like I guess they can stay here. Like so can you talk about like after a student finishes their education, like what does the process look like after that for them? And I'm sure it's like case by case, but sure. generally. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think you're spot on. Like some students come and they want to get their education and go back and contribute to, you know, what's going on in their home country, um, whatever that may be. And then others really come because they want to work in the United States and they want to, you know, experience life here, um, you know, and live, I guess, the American dream, whatever that is. Um, and um, so to do that, uh, there's a couple of options. So um, Kemi mentioned OPT earlier. So that's optional practical training. Um, and that is a benefit of the F-1 visa. So you only get it if you're on an F. Um, and it's uh, basically the, the purpose of it is to allow students to get practical experience that connects to their degree. Most students use it after they graduate um, and they have to apply to a different government agency to get authorization. Um, so part of right now we're in that sort of work authorization application period or we're about to start that um, in my office. So we work with students on that whole process. Um, so to submit an application and then they get initially 12 months to um, 
work in the United States, but they can't like work at Starbucks or work at a restaurant. They have to do something that relates to their major field of study. So if they're um, doing, I don't know, data analytics, then they need mm -hmm. some sort of job where they're working in data um, or finance, they'd have to work, you know, so whatever it is that they studied, they have to do a job in that field. Um, and then some students um, in the STEM fields, because um, the U.S. government is really interested in um, increasing the number of people who can do jobs in the STEM fields, um, and there aren't enough Americans to do that. Um, so students who study in the STEM fields can apply for an additional two years of work authorization. Um, it's called a STEM extension for a total of three years of, of work authorization after graduation. Um, and then after that, sort of you max out your time on an F-1 visa um, and you would have to, um, you know, find another way to, um, to stay in the U.S. beyond those three years. So that might be that your company sponsors you um, for what's called an H-1B visa, and that's an employer-sponsored visa. Um, or your employer may sponsor you for um, permanent residency as well. That can be an option. Um, question two about the H-1. Because the H-1 is if the company will sponsor you. Mm -hmm. Now, is there something... I, th I thought I heard, I'm not sure you can correct me if I'm wrong, about an H-1 lottery, is that mm -hmm. true? Yeah, absolutely. So I was going to mention that. I, I'm like, not sure how nerdy you want me to go, but. <laughs> go, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I want to hear, I want to hear everything. Um, so yeah, so the H-1B visa, um, there's only a certain number of them. Um, 65,000 visas. And then an additional 20,000 for students with master's degrees. So wow. for a total of like 85,000, which is actually, they sound like a big number, but it's really not that many spots yeah. if you think about how many people are graduating from mm -hmm. universities in a given year, or even how many jobs um, need to be filled in, in a given year. Um, and so because there's more demand, there's a lottery. Um, so basically, your company will put your name in the lottery if you get selected. Then you go ahead and submit your application um, and, and hopefully get the visa. And if you're not selected, um, you're kind of out of luck. Like you have to figure out, you know, another option. And that option may be that you, you know, ultimately do have to depart the U.S. And in previous years before COVID, there could be like about a 30%, 40% chance of getting the H-1B visa. And that's gone up. They haven't, um, there hasn't been as much demand um, since COVID. So we'll see what this cycle mm -hmm. uh, looks like. So that lottery happens around April 1st. Um, so that's coming up. So we're heading into um, kind of H-1B season. Um, there is one exception to the lottery. So um, if you work for a university or um, other types of uh, governmental uh, nonprofits, certain ones, it's very, very limited. Universities are kind of the biggest category. We're not subject to, to it's called the cap, the H-1B cap. So we're not subject to the lottery. So for example, the university where we work, I mean, there are a lot of international faculty and I actually file those H-1B petitions um, and I can file them any time of the year um, and there's no cap. So as long as the person qualifies and meets the requirements, then it gets approved. Um, so, you know, if you're thinking about not wanting to be subject to the cap or risk, you know, not getting that visa, if you, you know, think about, um, you know, working in academics, that could be be a good option no that's really helpful i had yeah i have no idea about all this stuff because yeah we get a lot of international students we have the, but we have office for that so people like you susanna and i don't have to worry about it but i was just curious too so you we do a lot we don't have to worry about <laughs> <laughs> exactly thank goodness because that's a lot of information yeah. so thank goodness yeah, it is 
I was just curious too. So you mentioned like students that come on, I think you mentioned like the F1 visa, their, their families, they have to pr prove that they can pay for their education. Yeah. I was, I was, I'm under the impression that students, international students can't use FAFSA or can't apply for FAFSA. Can you just talk about like ways that students can pay maybe like other than their family, like can they be eligible for scholarships here or like just options they yeah. may have financially? Yeah, so Katie, that's a huge important point that there's not finance, federal financial aid available for international students. Um, so it makes it really hard. So, you know, coming into the US takes a lot of planning and, you know, uh, saving some families safe for years to be able to, you know, send their child um, to the US to study. Um, and so that's where really, um, investigating what schools you're applying to is really important because there's huge differences between different universities and how much funding they'll give to to international students. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some universities will even have international student scholarships because they want to attract international students and they understand that international students bring um, diversity and bring a different perspective and really add a lot to campus and other universities don't have that type of funding. Um, so really looking at schools that, you know, asking admissions counselors early on in the process, you know, what funding is available for me as an international student um, is an important question to ask. There's some outside funding available, um, but it's pretty limited. Um, so it really comes down to, you know, sort of the merit-based aid that uh, your university might give you um, to be able to, uh, to sort of not have to pay everything out of pocket. And some countries, um, you know, I just think of India. I don't know if you have any listeners from India. Um, often banks in India can um, provide some educational loans um, to study in the U.S., but not every country or a banking system will, will do that. So that's another option too. Yeah. I have a follow-up question. I'm sorry, can um, no, go ahead. Follow-up question to that. So you mentioned like some steps that students should take coming. Like you mentioned talking to like an academic or a counselor to see steps, but what would you like recommend a student do like before they come and like once oh, they get yeah. here to prepare? That's a great question. Just sort of in all aspects. Mm -hmm. Like just generally. Yeah, so yeah, we talked about the financial piece. So that's mm -hmm. huge um, because you know, life in the U.S. can be really expensive and it varies widely based on like what city you're going to. Um, so right. investigating your location is really important on cost of living that, you know, and, and housing. Um, if you're an undergraduate student, you'll likely be able to live on campus, which is great. Um, graduate students don't always get that option. Um, I think you know, thinking about weather even <laughs> can be. Yeah, important. actually, that's like, a big one. Yeah, um, I know there's a lot of students so that weird, complain about that. But, <laughs> um, like being in the Northeast, like it is damn cold. Like it's very cold. And <laughs> for some people, like it just doesn't work. You know, yeah. like it can just be really miserable. You know, I right. work with students that have left to go somewhere a little bit warmer, like Texas. <laughs> else in the south um because the weather is you know tough so you know thinking about about that um thinking about um what kind of yes, the same things you know i think you probably advise any student or maybe have talked about in other episodes like what's a good fit for me do i want a really big school do i want a small school Thinking about, do I want to go to a school where there's a lot of people from my home country? Or do I want to go someone, somewhere where there's not a lot of people from my home country so that I can be challenged and get out of my comfort zone? So some of those questions um, are important. Learning about sort of what resources you're going to have. Um, so tutoring, um, you know, especially if English isn't your first language what sort of support will there be for you um, for non-native English speaking support um, that might that might help you have a better experience. I don't know why, but that weather, that weather one hit me really hard because I've 
definitely had many students that say, it's so cold here. I'm having a hard time adjusting. And I've been here my whole life in New England. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cold, even for me. I've been here forever. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I grew up in New Hampshire, like, you know, in very snowy times. Like, it's not even as snowy as it used to be. It's hard and it's dark. Um, yes. And, you know, I will see, <laughs> see students and I'll ask them, like, did you buy a warm coat? What did you buy? Like, do you have boots? <laughs> you know, just make sure you're like you know you have you need to be to be comfortable. <laughs> you know, even thinking about that like grocery stores, week. like is there an immigrant community from your home country so <laughs> that you can get foods that you like? Um, food can be kind of a shock too. Yes, so. I can definitely attest to that. And some students saying like, "Oh yeah," like some we were talking about bread i forgot who i was speaking with we we're talking about bread and they're like yeah the u.s everything is so much sweeter here and like even the bread mm -hmm. like tastes extra sweet it's like i was like yeah it's not a good thing to be honest it's mm -hmm. really not mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah but even down to little things like that um i guess a kind of a question to go off that one is i know you do a lot of just the dso things but your office also functions in general to connect with international students. Now, do you get a lot of students come into your office talking about being homesick? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's hard. Um, and I, I studied abroad, so I kind of like when I students open up and I can kind of chat about that. Like, it's really, it can be really tough. It can be lonely. Um, you know, it's especially like during breaks. Um, when, you know, maybe all your American friends are going back home to see their families. Um, yeah, so it's hard. Um, so we really, you know, like if I have a student come in, I'll say, oh, okay, well, are you involved in clubs? Um, so here's another thing about, you know, doing research about where you're going to go. Do they have an international students club? You know, what are the activities on campus that you can, um, get involved in? Um, and then, you know, sometimes I'll say, well, you, you need to find someone you can talk to about this, you know, and, and open up. Um, yeah, it can be a challenge for sure. And I think, um, you know, learning a little bit about um, the culture shock curve um, might be good just in preparing to go study somewhere new. Um, so, you know, I guess kind of in general, the, the culture shock curve is basically if you, you know, when you get somewhere, it's really exciting at first and everything's new and fun. And then, you know, oh man, like it's really hard to, or I don't know how to get my cell phone set up or, um, you know, the food is weird or, you know, everyone was really friendly at orientation, but now everybody's busy with classes and you know sports or whatever else they're doing um and so then there's kind of like an adjustment period if you can make it through that then you can adjust and you can you know kind of figure out how to make it work um and enjoy your experience i definitely agree with that as well i like i when it when like a couple like a month maybe before the semester starts, sometimes I'll get some students say, "Hey, can I just show up like right after orientation?" And I'm always pushing like you should probably get here as soon as you're able to get here, so that way you can have an effective transition to campus. Because one, it's you, it's a it's a culture shock for one thing. Then you're you have to open a bank account. You don't know the area. For some students that I've I've spoken with, I think a large majority of them they didn't come to the campus first, like, like a usual, like, uh, like, you know how we go on campus visits in the United uh -huh. States, like, we'll go on, hop on a bus or even fly to another state to look for a campus visit. A large number of these students are just doing the research. And then they're just taking that leap of faith that this will really be the right fit for me. And so you have to walk around, see what the campus even looks like, where is everything located, like, again, adjusting to the weather. And then finding your housing. If you're a graduate student, a lot of our graduate students are just finding housing. They don't have it readily available for an undergraduate student. And then on top of that, you're taking classes at the same time. So it's all this kind of balance. And then also even balancing, 
I think the worst with COVID, and I know you could probably speak to this too, is like balancing like at home issues too, because your brain is here, you're trying to focus on your studies, and then there's tons of issues that are going on back at home. So it's mm-hmm. a lot to to balance. It's a lot to try to like figure out your time and just figure out how to find your flow. And I, I always tell students like try to get here as early as possible. You should be here for orientation. You want to know the resources. You want to know people's faces so you can connect to them. Uh, right then and there. You don't want to be classes just starting and you're lost. You don't want to have that that feeling. I would panic. So <laughs> I would just know I would panic. So I would just like just get here when you can, like as soon as like you're able to on your visa and just kind of acclimate yourself. Yeah, your that's spot on. That's spot on. And you can get here a month early. You were wondering 30 days before the start date of your program. Awesome. Um, yeah, and I think that's huge, like giving yourself time to adjust. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, there was, I was talking to some, I think it was an aunt of one of my students, and she used to study in the United States, and her two nephews were coming to the United States, were coming to our school, and she was like, yeah, I'm going to try to get them like a couple weeks early, we're going to like go shopping like she was doing such a good job of ensuring they had a good transition I was like this is so cute and this is what people (laughs) should be doing (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's awesome yeah I just love that so much um I think something else in addition to like transitioning sometimes you can be overwhelmed I found that with some students based on different cultures sometimes people think speaking up is not like a sign, maybe a sign of weakness, or it's just not something that their culture um, mm. functions in. Because um, sometimes I'll try to connect students if they're really feeling down, like, okay, I can talk to you a little bit, but I want to connect you to a better resource like the counseling center. And sometimes it can be very difficult to try to make that connection. Like, it's okay. Like, it's like no one's thinking ill of you it's totally normal I'm like everybody needs a little counseling in my opinion opinion. Mm -hmm. everyone needs a therapist on speed (laughs) dial for sure (laughs) but can you do you have like any previous experience talking to students in that regard absolutely yeah that was um like deja vu (laughs) for me yeah I think you know and I'll say, like, have you considered um, the counseling center? And then, you know, like, well, in the United States, that's totally normal. And, um, you know, it can help just to have somebody, you know, and I try to just make it very, like, just somebody you can talk to. Yeah. You know, like, not, maybe there can be stigma around mental health. Um, you know, I mean, even here in the U.S., I mean, it's everywhere, but you know, kind of stepping away and saying, well, it's not, you're not sick necessarily, or, you know, it's just, it's, it's going to help you feel better to talk to somebody. Share, like, I try to tell students, like a counselor, they can help with time management because we're talking about an adjustment. It could be, you know, you kind of have to spin it. Like, oh, you need to type, like help with time management or you need help with like study skills. Cause maybe, yeah, this is a different study environment for you or, academic environment for you so there's always ways to be like oh you might like a counselor does more than just like mental health and they might get there and they're like oh like they might spill everything to the counselor but if we like as you know staff can be like cater it to what that student needs in that moment maybe it'll be more appealing to them yeah i'm stealing that i love that that's great i'm gonna try that (laughs) yeah try it it helps like oh okay i know they did that but students just don't know resources even students like you said american students don't know what we have. So I can only imagine, like, I think that was a great point to say for students coming, really any students, just check out what your, what your school offers for resources. Cause you might just not know like, Oh, I need, I need X, Y, Z resource. And you had no idea they offered it. Right. And then what is some advice that you would give students that want to study abroad kind of Let's say you're we're speaking more to a person. I guess I can go for undergrad and graduate. Someone who wants to study in the U.S. Like, where would you recommend that they best begin their process? Like, I know they have to apply for the application, but what kind of advice would you give them to navigate it? Yeah, I mean, I don't work in admissions, so I'm trying to think like what would be the first entry into this. It's, it seems like it would be very overwhelming. Um, 
I mean, I'm like thinking back. Yeah. My college search street. a long time yeah. ago. Not saying how long ago, but um, like <laughs> there's just like so many choices. Um, so I think I well, I guess you know what I think. My understanding is that everyone internationally looks at the U.S. news, college, and university rankings. Mm-hmm. Right, and so it's you know. I'm going to go to like a top 50 school. I would encourage you to not use that as the only, um, you know, uh, sort of, I guess, reason to go to a school. So think a little bit about um, what you want to do, what you might want to study, and then look for schools that offer those programs that you're interested in. And I think um, there hasn't been as much uh, going on with COVID, but I know the university and college fairs are um, opening up again. Um, I know some of my colleagues in admissions are starting to travel internationally and and go visit different countries. So if you can, if you live in a city where you can easily get to a college fair, that would be a great way to actually meet some real people um, and actually learn about a lot of different schools and not a lot of time, right? So you could go for a couple hours and go and talk to everybody at all the all the different tables. So if you can find a college fair that's accessible to you, I would definitely um, recommend doing that. Um, thinking about, I guess, yeah, I guess if you break it down into sort of three pieces, um, an a- academic fit, so a school that's going to have a program that you want, um, financial fit, so something that's um, you know you can afford, you and your family can can make work because there's um, very large differences in um, cost, and maybe it makes sense to go to a community college yeah. for two years because they're okay. a lot more affordable, and then. No transfer out to finish your degree if you're really concerned about finances that like might be a really good option for you mm-hmm. um, and I guess the third fit is uh the third piece would be like social fit or so is it in a location that you like is there activities you're going to enjoy doing um does it seem like a place where you would feel happy to be a question too about the financial part too because I know we talked about it briefly earlier that you'll you will have to show that you're able to pay um I think it's like we give them like a certain from what I recall when I used to work about other job I think it was they were given like a certain amount of the living expenses so how is the living expenses kind of calculated so is it per I know it factors the tuition and then I think the state yeah that's I was actually in a meeting with um, other people like me from different schools uh, uh, yesterday, and I asked this exact question because um, <laughs> different schools do it different ways. So it's really an estimate. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's different ways to sort of figure out, okay, how much is it going to cost, um, you know, for if you're going to live off campus. If you're undergraduate, the the cost is going to be your tuition, health insurance. Um, that's another piece that um, might be really different from uh, your home country is that we have very expensive health insurance in the United States. Healthcare is very expensive. And to be a student, you have to have health insurance, at least in Massachusetts, I, I would assume everywhere, but I don't know 100%. Um, so, and then uh, room and board. And so, you know, the tuition, room and board, and health insurance, that's kind of the amount of money that you're going to have to come up with. Um, and the federal regulations require DSOs before we give you your, um, it's called an I-20. It's your visa document basically saying you are invited to come and study at my school. Um, before we can give you that document, we have to look at a bank statement. So we actually have to see that you have the funds um, for the first year. So the first year. For the first year. Yeah. Okay. And so that's what we check. We put those numbers onto the actual visa document on the I-20, and then we send that to the student. Yeah. And then for students who live off campus, the cost is kind of based on what it would cost to 
you know, rent an apartment, food and transportation. Can students on these visas work on campus or in that, other places? Yeah, that's huge. Um, so the student visa is not a work visa. The U.S. Mm. government like doesn't want international students to work other mm. than on OPT so they can work on campus. They cannot work off campus. Okay. Um, so that can be really hard. And on campus jobs are like not always available. So mm -hmm. it's, it's not a good idea to assume that you will be able to, you know, pay rent with your on campus job because you mm -hmm. may not be able to get one. Right That's good. Yeah, I get one or the hours because your hours will be even even when we were in college, our hours was Mm -hmm. maybe five hours a week yeah I don't even think I used my work study when I was a student I couldn't even use it all 20 hours a week yeah but no you mentioned like so even students like American students that are eligible for work study jobs they don't they're not guaranteed work study but a lot of the jobs on campus for students are work studies positions and if we're saying that international students can't apply for FAFSA they're not eligible for work study right so so the number of tough. jobs is even more limited, Kiki, that's right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So in my office and at every school where I've worked in the international office, um, they are not work study jobs. They are funded by the department um, so we can hire international students. That's very cool. So, you know, we only have four or five students that we can mm -hmm. every year. But it's a great place to work. So if you're coming to the U.S., you should try to <laughs> at your international center. <laughs> it's true. CPT. Oh, yeah. So we always talk about the famous OPT. So CPT. Do you want to break down a little bit about what the yeah, CPT yeah. and like the internship? Sure. Uh, CPT. CPT is like the most complicated, complicated thing. <laughs> we're confused about it. Like, we're confused it is. about it. We do our best. Um, so basically... Um, CPT, it's curricular practical training. So curricular coming from curriculum, which is like what you study. Um, and so it's a way to um, basically do an off-campus um, experience um, that relates to your curriculum. Um, you may be paid, you may not be paid, but if you're doing something off-campus, part of your academic program you need authorization to do that and that's what cpt gives you you can't do it right away so you have to come and uh study for your first year in the u.s before you can be eligible for it um and then typically how it works is you'll take like an internship class um and then you know you'll have to write you know some reflection papers maybe about your experience um, and then you work in a local um, business and something that connects to what you're studying yeah I always I always feel like I, I'll push students back to your office if they if they, I can I can answer generally generally just like you said you're like if you're here for a year then you can be eligible for CPT but then that also depends on what program or how many semesters that you have and then I'll get these one students that were like, well, I studied undergrad, so I think I'm different. I'm like, I have no idea. I'm going to have you talk to Susanna. There's always so many different things. And then especially COVID oh, was the biggest headache because you had some students that started at home, then they came to the U.S. And I'm like, oh, just because you started then doesn't mean you were here for a year. So no, you can't. It's super <laughs> confusing. It's and so like we give CPT Great. workshops every week, every month. Um, and we'll even say like in the workshop, your situation is too complicated. You need to have an individual advising appointment because we have to make sure that the job qualifies, that the academic piece is there. So we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work, um, with students to get that in place. So if that's something you want to do and you come to the U.S., then planning ahead is really important. Just, it's, it's, you know. Yes, and that's, I feel like I get 
a lot of that. Like I'm trying to plan ahead as soon as possible. And, and then I think the worst thing too is sometimes oh, students God. will talk to other students and like, well, my friend, oh, it's the worst. <laughs> like, well, my friend does this. And I'm like, well, your friend is right. in this program and you don't even have oh, this. Like, been well, here my friend this, at this so... other school, they do it this way. Exactly. <laughs> like, okay, well, so yes, I guess that would be another piece of advice. Always go to the right office. Mm-hmm. We do the same thing. Like I'll be like, go talk to Kemi. I don't know when you're graduating. <laughs> you know, like I don't know if this is. You know, I, I don't know exactly if you can do an internship with your program or not. So you have to your academic person. This is all really, really good to know. Like very helpful. Well, I think Kemi and I. Well, Susanna mentioned before we started that you studied abroad. Do you have any other questions, Kemi? Because I want to hear. You want to hear? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was I was no, gonna go yeah, there next. Cool. So can, you can you talk about like your study abroad experiences, Susanna, and yeah. well, like where you've been, just like just whatever. We want to hear about all of it, please. Yeah. That's really cool. So I picked my school um, for my undergraduate degree because they had so many study abroad options. Like that was what I wanted to do. So I went twice. Um, my junior year. I went to Turkey for a semester, um, studied in Istanbul. It was amazing, such a beautiful city, amazing food. Um, it was really cool because there were a lot of study abroad students from Europe at that university. So there was just students from all over the world um, and all over Europe, which is really, really cool. Um, it was like a direct enroll exchange program. So I was just taking classes at the university, living in a dorm room um, with Turkish roommates. It was like really cool. And the classes were in English. So that's how I was able to do it. I don't okay. speak well enough. <laughs> I took a semester of Turkish. So that was really cool. Um, Love that. And then I, my senior year, I went to Morocco to study Arabic. So I was studying international relations um, with a concentration on the Middle East and North Africa. So I was learning Arabic all throughout um, my undergraduate. So it was an intensive um, Arabic program and just loved Morocco. That was a different type of program where it was at a center. So all of my classes were with students from my university we were all together um, and then we lived with host families um, in the old part of the city um, which was really cool um, and loved it so much that I ended up staying for another four years um, I got a job teaching English um, and then stayed you know traveled went to Spain a bunch of times wow um it was really and then came back and started working with international students so i had to have some international connection um to, to continue i need that in my life so yeah yeah it's very refreshing i always think that i was just meditating on that the other day um just having the opportunity if you can't study abroad just connect with other people from different countries it really does so much to increase your perspective and just have a better be having a better understanding of being a global absolutely citizen, yeah you know do you do you mind sharing where you went to undergrad because you said it was a school that's yeah, like study abroad to, yeah i went to boston university okay very cool oh, okay yeah. right right, right yes. over here <laughs> not just helpful for for anybody listening yeah. um because we're Kemi and I's alma mater, Elon, is really big on study abroad too. So it's really cool yeah. that there's schools out there that yeah. focus on study abroad. I did. Yeah. I just I did a, did. I just said we have like a winter term. So like just three and a half weeks. Yeah. I went to Costa Rica for the winter term. Yeah. It was amazing. It was amazing. And we did, we did, that was like one of the, I chose it. I was a Spanish minor. And I chose it also because, well, I had a scholarship that paid for the whole entire trip, thank God. And then it was a homestay, or we had a um, host family. Yeah. And like very few programs that 
Elon offered during winter term had hosts families and I was like I want to stay with the family and it was like really really cool like I did everything with them so it was a really awesome experience it's a little bit like feels like a higher risk experience but it's Mm -hmm. so worth it Mm -hmm. Um, I did learn so much more like it feels like you get an insider perspective and the food is always so good yeah like how it genuinely is to live in and out yes yes it was amazing. Well, I don't know. Do you have any like any parting thoughts, Suzanne, or anything else you wanted to share with the listeners, or for me and Kemi? Because this is like I'm, I've learned a lot now. I'm still gonna send them to the international students office, but I feel like I've learned a lot more than I knew an hour That's ago. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean this was really fun. This was great. Thanks for. Th- Susanna, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it um, because like, we we want to like, broaden our listenership. And because we do have, we still want to know who you are, listeners in those other countries. But we want to we want to expand that because um, we can like look at our analytics and we're like, we have international listeners. So Kimmy had a great idea to do an international series. So Susanna was our first guest, like Kimmy mentioned, for this international series. Um, we're really excited. Like Susanna talked about international students, but also your own experience. So that's really, really cool. So we're definitely going to be doing more of that um, coming up, like other people that have also studied abroad, lived abroad. So be excited, get excited for it. If you have questions that you want us to answer or things you want to hear for this series, let us know. But thank you again, Susanna. This was really awesome to have you on here today. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Susanna, and I hope you guys listen to the next one. We'll see you soon. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening to the latest episode of Your Advisors. We'll see you now. Please make sure to follow us on all of our social media pages and check out our website. Take a look at the show notes below. And please make sure to subscribe and share this podcast. Also, show us some love and please leave a five-star review. Catch you next time. See ya.